morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, my name is Julia Wheeler, and in a moment, I'm going to be introducing two authors who I know are really hugely excited to be here in Dubai. The first one is a very funny man, and he's going to be ask, asking the questions. He's called Andy Riley, and he's written all sorts of hilarious things uh, for films and TV. And he's also the brains behind those brilliant books, King Flashy Pants. But, oh, you like him already, I can tell. Um, but before he and the other author come out on stage, I need to check a few things with you, really. I've got some questions for you. The first one is, do we have any gangster grannies in the audience? Any gangster? Could all the gangster grannies please stand up? And also, any mums who think that one day they might also be a gangster granny? Okay, gangster grannies, gangster mums, on your feet, please. Okay, so you stay standing up, please, gangsters. All the gangsters stand up. Do we have in the audience anybody who is a grandpa who's had a great escape? Any great escaping grandpas? Please, you stand up. Do we have any demon dentists in the audience? Any demon dentists? Fantastic. What about anybody in the audience who could sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes be called Miss or Master or Mrs. or Mr. Stink? Okay, on your feet now, on your feet. Do we have any bad dads? On your feet, bad dads. Awful aunties. Are there any awful aunties in the audience? Are there any billionaire boys? Woo! Billionaire boys. Let's hear it for you. Anybody in the audience who is or was or might be able to be described as one of the world's worst children? still people sitting down here. So, is there anybody in the audience who is still sitting down who would like to meet the creator of all these wonderful characters? If you're one of those people, get up on your feet. Are you sure that you want to meet the creator? Are you sure you're sure? Absolutely, positively sure you're sure. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Andy Riley and David Williams. Hello. <laughs> right, hello. This is the wonderful Andy Riley. We're pals from London. And uh, you're there, right? No, no, you're, oh, you're I'm there. And Andy is a fantastic comedy writer and also has his own series of books out. Hey, but now we're here to talk about your ones. Me, me, me. You, you, it's, all, it's all you, 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 isn't it? Uh, so... I want to take you back to uh, when you started doing these books, because by the uh, middle of the last decade, uh, you were very, very well known in Britain for doing TV comedy shows, writing and performing them, which were on late at night and quite rude and not necessarily for children. Mm. And then you made the jump into doing um, books, not TV programmes, and for children. And so what, what made you make that shift at that point? Well, the comedy shows were not meant for children, but children did like them. Mm. Are there any children here who've seen Little Britain or Come Fly With Me? You shouldn't have. Yes, I blame the parents. <laughs> you shouldn't watch it. 
Very, very rude. Um, but kids liked it, just like I'm sure we liked rude comedy shows when we were growing yep. up. So I based it a little bit on, on my experiences too. And it was a sort of modest success. But the, the most important thing was I loved doing it. Because mm. I realised there was so much more you could do in a book than you might be able to do in a two-minute comedy sketch. Yes. And also, when you're doing uh, TV, if you're doing something like writing in a car chase, um, you have to get stunt people and everything. Mm. And I was reading Bad Dad noticing that you can just write a car chase. Yes, well, <laughs> the whole thing of television is people telling you you can't do that because it's too expensive. I mean, that's basically every, all you're told every single day yep. of your life as a comedy writer, isn't it? Because I remember once I was doing a TV show and someone had written this elaborate... Um, thing where I was holding on to the back of a boat and sort of drowning and everything and in the end it just the scene was just me washed up on the shore because that's yeah. all they could afford to film which was me being washed up on the shore and it was like it was like oh that bit was going to be great oh I can't afford it um whereas books the only limits are your imagination yes uh, and also um the the illustrator just how much how many people they're willing to draw in the background Yes, well, I'm <laughs> very, very, of I'm of very lucky because I have, uh, I've worked with two wonderful illustrators. Yes. And when you're looking for the inspiration for your books, um, is there anyone in, say, your family or, or your friends or something that you sort of reach for to base the characters on? Well, yeah, I mean, do we have any budding writers in the audience? Any of you kids who like to be the next J.K. Rowling? Oh, lots of you. Yeah, it'd be fun, wouldn't it? I'd like to be the next J.K. Rowling, yeah. <laughs> Blimey. Um... Well, the thing I'd say is, I bet there are things that have happened to you in your life that already could be the basis of a story. For example, when I was a kid, um, my older sister used to like getting me into trouble. Mm. And so she would actually, she'd be in her bedroom alone on her bed and she'd be rolling around on it going, David, get off me! You're hurting me! And I'd be in my room doing my homework. But my dad would run up the stairs and he'd give me a whack round the head because you could hit children in those days. <laughs> it's a shame the rules have changed, but there we are. And, um, and she used to do that again and again and again and, and, uh, until one day she got found out mm. because she was rolling around in her bed, hadn't realised my dad had come up the stairs. And then I could really make her life a misery. But anyway, I used that that really that story is one of the basis for one of the world's worst children's stories which was blubbering bertha yeah so basically i got my revenge on my sister about 30 years later right. and how does your sister feel about that she doesn't like it <laughs> but i don't care <laughs> and uh, could we hear a little bit of uh, windy mindy could you well yes it um so i'm gonna um read uh a bit of the world's worst children and I'm going to read out loud in case you were thinking, oh, a bit boring just to watch him read a book. <laughs> a little joke for you there. Um, now, do you guys like rude stories? Yeah. Grown-ups, are they allowed a rude story? Yeah. Okay, well, so this is a story about a little girl called Windy Mindy. And Windy Mindy has an incredible talent for breaking wind. And these are some of the things she calls her wind. Bubble bombs, toilet tunes, under burps, trouser toots, bench warmers, little Tommy squeakers, honkers. And Mindy discovers she, had this, she has this incredible talent if 
she puts her bottom next to a tuba, you know, the big musical instrument, she can actually play a tune, much like free-form jazz. And um, could happen, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, and her, her teacher, her music teacher, realises that actually she's a fantastic player. And so he decides to launch her career at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And finally, the day came. Windy Mindy was to make her world debut at the Royal Albert Hall. In Mindy's vast dressing room backstage, there were some last-minute preparations. The little girl was delighted to devour as many of her special windy foods as she possibly could. Porridge, beans, eggs, lentil soup, dried figs, mushy peas, cauliflower cheese, cabbage and prune juice were all mixed together in a giant vat, which she then poured down her throat. To ensure that she would have enough wind for the performance, she topped it off with a huge bottle of fizzy pop. And now Mindy's tummy was bubbling with air. Isn't it great? I think I'm going to explode, sir, she said. I will have enough wind to play for hours, she added, before excitedly clambering onto a trampoline. After bouncing up and down for over an hour, the food and drink in the girl's tummy had been mixed together nicely or horribly depending on how you look at it. Meanwhile, all the distinguished guests had been seated in the auditorium. The lights dimmed and a spotlight shone on the girl's music teacher, Mr. Tinkle, as he shuffled onto the huge stage of the Royal Albert Hall. Your Royal Highnesses, my lords, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Windy Mindy. Mindy turned round and placed the tuba behind her bottom, ready to blow her wind towards it. Gasp! The audience was scandalised. They'd never seen anything so rude, but immediately sweet music filled the hall and the audience were shocked into silence. After just a few notes, she had everyone entranced. They were all in the palm of her bottom. <laughs> However, after all that gassy food and fizzy pop, plus, of course, all that bouncing up and down on a trampoline, Mindy's wind was particularly fierce. The smell was so appalling, it actually burned the nostrils when it went up the nose. Needless to say, children, this is the point in the story where things began to go horribly wrong. Suddenly, the music teacher noticed that one by one, the rows of audience members were withering like dead flowers. The stink was hitting them like a tidal wave. In no time at all, the entire audience had passed out. Mr. Tinkle rushed onto the stage to try and make Mindy stop. But the wall of smell floored him in an instant, and he fell off the stage and plunged into a piano in the orchestra pit. Clang! Suddenly, Mindy realised that, as much as she wanted to, she just couldn't stop blowing off. Her bottom was buzzing way out of control, and her bubbly tummy was expanding at an alarming rate. Nothing could hold the gas back. Her bottom was about to go nuclear. There was an eerie silence for a few seconds before. Mindy shot so much air out of her behind so unbelievably fast, she actually took off like a rocket. The gas propelled her and her tuba up, up, up into the air, and she smashed through the domed roof of the Royal Albert Hall. Mindy zoomed up through the starlit sky at lightning speed, heading straight for outer space. Up there on an international space station, the astronauts on board reported hearing some rather impressive free-form jazz. Thinking it might be alien life attempting to make contact, they put on their spacesuits and rushed outside. 
only to find themselves gazing open-mouthed in shock at a little girl hurtling past with a tuba behind her behind and a look of terrible panic on her face. That was the very last sighting of Windy Mindy. So what is the moral of this story? Well, it's that there is absolutely nothing funny about breaking wind, which is why I would never write a story about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I don't think we could go through this conversation without mentioning some of the other seven careers that you have. Mm. Um, you've acted Shakespeare in the West End, in the West End of London, Shakespearean actor. Um, this man has swum from England to France. That's about 26 miles. Uh, hands... <laughs> don't, don't clap him, it was ages ago. <laughs> could, could you do it now? <laughs> uh, I'd have a go, yeah. yeah. I'd quite like to be like... I'll really old and do one of those sport relief challenges. Mm. Because wouldn't it have been wonderful if we'd have seen Sir Bruce Forsyth or Ronnie Corbett or yes. something on a tandem together or something. So maybe when yeah. I'm very elderly, cool. I'll have another go. And the, thing, the other thing that you're very well known for in, in Britain is as a judge. Not a real judge, not putting people to prison, thankfully, but on Britain's Got Talent. Which, mm. has anyone seen Britain's Got Talent here? Quite a few. People, for those of you that don't know, it's an immense show in Britain where the, some of the most talented people in Britain um, are, are judged. And the most untalented. And the most well, untalented. That's the, that's the ones I like. So, you've seen a lot of people on that show, and I'm wondering if there's other, if any of your characters might have come from that. This is one way of me saying, is there a book about Simon Cowell? Well... Whenever I'm creating an evil villain, all I have to think is, <laughs> what would Simon Cowell do? Mm. Um, I actually did have an idea for a story about Simon Cowell. I was going to... Um, it was this idea about a boy band, yeah. where one by one, the members are being killed off and replaced by robots. Mm. And they're sort of very lifelike robots. And then it was going to be discovered that Simon Cowell was behind the whole thing. And the reason he was replacing them with robots is he didn't have any feelings, because he had a metal heart. Yeah. So he actually couldn't ha express any emotions. And I thought, I was going to write it, I thought, I can't, it's all true. Mm. Um, so also, did... Simon Cowell would want to be in it playing himself. Oh, right? oh, of course. And he also, he always says to me that I have to give him half the royalties for the books, because the only reason these books sell is because of him. I mean, he's completely <laughs> delusional. But... We do meet all these incredible people on the show. We're very lucky to, 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 you know, all these kind of wonderfully talented people and wonderfully untalented people. And we once had this, this guy, just get up to tell the story, we had this guy come onto the stage, and he had this greasy black hair and these dark glasses and these false teeth right in his mouth. He thought, came on like this. And uh, the first thing he said was, I know what you're thinking. They've dug up Roy Orbison, which the adults all know is a long, long dead singer. A sort of weird start, didn't really get the audience on, on his side. And then we said, what's your talent going to be? And he went, I'm going to eat live cockroaches. <laughs> and he got out this brown paper bag that was, was rattling around. And one by one, he started eating these cockroaches. Um, and he went on to win the series that year. <laughs> He got buzzed off very quickly, but it got me thinking. I thought, a man who eats live cockroaches, what else might he do? Might 
he turned rats into burgers. Rat burger! You're right. Might he sell? You've got a copy of it. Might he sell those burgers outside schools from a van? And it just got me thinking. What I did was I created this whole imaginary life for him. It was like the meeting with him only lasted like a minute. But it was like a little seed. And from that seed, I could grow like a tree. And do you know what the best part of it all was? I did not have to pay him a penny. (laughs) I just took his life and, uh, and turned it into a book. And he is a real guy. And his name is Cockroach Ken. Right. And, and do, does he know then that he must know because he finished. must know now, but he's not been in touch. Okay. So <laughs> there we go. But uh, but yeah, it was also based a bit on those. I don't know. You probably had a quite a similar upbringing to me. But when we were growing up, there was quite a lot of um, what I would call urban myths. Mm-hmm. Like people would say, "Oh yeah, I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken and I bit into the chicken and it was a rat's tail." You yeah. Know, the one the one I always heard was uh, someone at the cinema eating uh, popcorn in the cinema and when the lights came on they, they realised they'd been eating a rat and half the rat was eaten away. That's the one oh. I always heard. And that was to make me afraid of popcorn in the cinema. There was another one that was um, they, <laughs> they went into a Chinese restaurant and they opened the freezer and they found a red setter in there. And I just thought, <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so bizarre. I think, oh, there's more trouble to sort of kill a dog and feed it to people than just buying some food, right? Uh, um, but but it, it sort of was based on those those urban myths. Because yes. when you're a kid, you want to believe those things, don't you? Yeah, and Ratburger was uh, adapted uh, for television uh, very recently. I don't quite yeah. know how the TV works here, but I hope you get to see it, because it uh, oh, we were very proud of that one. Yes, it was great. Uh, and I'd like to talk now about one of your books, which is of great interest to me, which is Gangster Granny. Mm. Because I was uh, one of the people who uh, helped adapt it with you mm. for, uh, for television. Mm. And you did a wonderful well, job. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, so all the bits you didn't like, that was me. Um, you, can blame, you can blame me for anything that you didn't like about the adaptation. Um, and it's about an interesting relationship, of course. A lot of your books are about, the, well, the core relationship is between a child and a grown-up. And for that one, it was a child and a grandparent. Mm. And I wondered what you thought was fun about writing for grandparents, writing for old characters. Well, I think the thing is, when I, when I was growing up, um, you know, when I was a kid, you, when, you, when you're with your grandparents, you sort of think they've been old forever. You, you, you're sort of quite selfish and in your own bubble in a way. And you don't, you're not thinking too much about what happened before you were born. It's like mm. nothing happened, as far as you were concerned, so often. And so I used to get sent off to my granny's house, you know, on a Friday night if my mum and dad were doing something. And uh, he'd play Scrabble, eat cabbage soup, she'd want to watch the snooker. It could be kind of boring. Until I asked her about her life before I was born, and particularly living in London during the Second World War at the time of the Blitz. And so every day people were struggling to survive. They didn't know whether they'd last the night. And she used to have to hide in the underground system and uh, on her street a bus was blown up. And she had all these incredible stories and it made me think how everybody has a story to tell and old people have more, more stories than most. And it really got me thinking that there might be a story, you know, when I was thinking about that as an adult, I was thinking there might be a story in this somehow. Mm. You know, an old person with an incredibly exciting life before the grandchild was ever born. Also, I do think it is a lovely relationship. Do we have some grandparents in here? We have some grandsa grannies or grandpas? 
We have two. Um, <laughs> that was worth the shout out. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, but you know, it's a special relationship, isn't yes. it? Because because it's like they let you stay up maybe a bit late. But this this is the thing. You don't normally there's eat. there's less rules. Mm. Hands up who stays with their grandparents and there's less rules than them with, with their parents. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You can stay up later, you can have more junk food, mm. um, you don't have to eat vegetables. Isn't it great? Yeah, so I hope you all appreciate your grandparents because they're, they're doing some great work <laughs> <Hello>. there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a special relationship and I was really glad to kind of honour her memory a little bit by writing Gangster Granny. Yeah. Uh, could you read us a little bit from Gangster I Granny? Will. I will. I'll, um, I'll read a little bit from the story. It's about a boy called Ben who finds out that his grandma, as you can see up there, is an international jewel thief. And this is the part in the story where he's found all the jewels. They're in a biscuit tin in Granny's kitchen. She's laid them all out on the floor of her living room. And she's telling him how she stole each one. But at that moment, they notice that someone is spying on them. Ben's eyes darted towards the window. For a brief moment, he saw a dark figure peer through the dirty glass and then quickly disappear out of view. There was a man peering in at the window, said Ben breathlessly. I know, said Granny. I told you not to look. Um, Shall I go out and see who it was, said Ben, trying to hide the fact that he was more than a little frightened. Really, he wanted Granny to go out and see who it was. Oh, I bet it was my nosy neighbour, Mr Parker. He's a retired major and now he runs the local neighbourhood watch scheme. What's neighbourhood watch? asked Ben. Oh, it's a group of local people who keep an eye out for burglars. But Mr Parker just uses it as an excuse to spy on everyone, the nosy old git. Is he suspicious about you? Oh, he's suspicious about everyone. We have to keep an eye out for him, young lad. The man is a menace. Ben went over to the window and peered out. He couldn't see anyone. Bring! Ben's heart nearly missed a beat. It was only the doorbell, but if they let Mr Parker inside, he would see all the evidence the police would need to send Ben and his granny straight to prison. Don't answer it, said Ben, as he ran to the middle of the room and started stuffing all the jewels back in the tin as quickly as he could. What do you mean, don't answer it? He knows I'm at home. He just saw us through the window. You answer the door and I will hide the jewels. Me? Yes, you. Hurry. Bring. This ring was more insistent. Mr Parker had left his finger on the buzzer for even longer. Ben took a deep breath and walked calmly through the hall to the front door. He opened it. Yes? Can I help you? Mr Parker put his foot inside the bungalow door so the front door couldn't be closed on him. Who are you? He barked nasally. He had a very big nose, which made him seem even nosier than he was, and he already seemed extremely nosy. Because he had a big nose, he also had a very nasal voice, which made everything he said, however serious, seem a little bit absurd. But his eyes shone red like a demon. I'm, um, I'm, um, I'm Granny's friend, spluttered Ben. Why did I say that? He thought. In truth, he was in a terrible panic and his tongue was running away with him. 
Friend, snarled Mr. Parker, pushing open the front door. I mean, I mean, grandson, Mr. Parker, sir. Why are you lying to me? I'm not lying, cried Ben. They reached the living room door. You can't go in there, yelled Ben, thinking of the jewels still scattered all over the carpet. Why not? Um, um, uh, because Granny is doing her yoga. Ben needed a dramatic excuse to stop Mr. Parker barging through the door and seeing the jewels. But sadly, the nosy neighbour was not convinced. Yoga, a likely story. I need to talk to your grandmother right away. Now get out of my way, you nasty little worm of a boy, he said as he shoved the boy aside and opened the living room door. Granny must have heard Ben through the door because when Mr. Parker burst into the room, she was standing in tree pose. <laughs> Mr. Parker, do you mind? said Granny in mock horror that he had seen her. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, with, with Gangster Granny and, mm. and actually pretty much all of the books in the, in the world of Williams, uh, the, you touch on some quite serious subjects. There's you get death, there's, there's depression and, and poverty, and, and lots of really serious, important issues that affect everyone. And then, woven all around that, is jokes about farts and, and pants. And, um, and it's, do you, when you're writing the book, do you ever, do you ever find that you need to put in like more smelly jokes or, or, or less smelly jokes? How do you I think generally less smelly jokes, but I think I feel like you can combine these things because I feel like that life can be funny and sad yeah. all at once. I remember when I was little, we were sat around uh, about to eat Sunday lunch and my mum had to tell her mum, my granny, that someone she knew, not that well, but someone she knew had died. And my mum said, Mum... Have you heard Winnie Wright has died? And uh, my granny looked at my mum and went, I'll eat whatever I'm given. <laughs> and obviously she's gone a bit deaf and misheard. And it was like, it, and it just really struck me that life is funny and sad all at the same time. Yeah. So I feel like you can combine these things and sometimes two ideas knocking against each other can work quite well. In another book I wrote called Grandpa's Great Escape, I basically had two ideas. I had one idea about an old person escaping from an old people's home. And then I had this other idea about a grandfather who was suffering from dementia, which means he was losing his memory and he didn't really know where he was anymore. And he was thought he was back in World War II. And I thought, well, actually, you can combine those two things. Because yes. if he thinks he's in a prisoner of war camp, like Colditz in Germany, but he's actually in his old people's home. And so you could have something, I know, two things, one idea that is quite silly in a way, yeah. and one idea that's deeply serious. And actually, I, I mean, I'm proud of the book. I think, I think, for me, it showed that you can actually yes. sometimes put those two things together. Well, yeah, I think you've shown that many times, that, oh, well, that you, you can do that. A lot of David's books are about stealing things. Uh, in that, it's a fighter plane. Uh, in Gangster Granny, it's the Crown Jewels from the Tower of London. In Bad Dad, lots of money. Mm. Anyone on that side of the room where David walked in, just check your handbags, <laughs> check your wallets at the end, um, and we'll see if anything falls out of his pocket. Uh, now, uh, your books haven't just got your words in. 
thank goodness, mm. because that would be, you know, they'd be terrible then. <laughs> you've, you've also got um, uh, some terrific illustrations in all of them, and you've worked with two really wonderful illustrators, Quentin Blake and Tony Ross. Mm. Out of those two, who do you prefer? Well, um, it's great because the one I prefer is actually with us today. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Ross is with us! <laughs> Tony! <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Lovely to see you. Hello. Um, right. So we're going to do, do a little thing now. Is We are going to create a new world's worst children. But I need you guys' ideas, right, for this. So I want to hear about anyone who's got a brother or sister who you think could make it in the world's worst children. So someone who's annoying. So has anyone got a handheld mic I can borrow? And I'm going to ask a few questions. We're going to have a few suggestions. Okay? So pop your hat. So pop your hand up in the air if you've got a really annoying brother or sister. Tell me their name and what, what's annoying. She's called Rhea and um, she shouts at me all the time. Okay, so we've got shouting Rhea. That could be an idea. Let's go over here. She, she, my, Rihanna, and she won't stop asking if we can join on Minecraft. She won't stop asking if we can join a... On Minecraft. On Minecraft. Well, is it very specific? Okay, let's see. You look very excited here. So, what's your idea? Um, Rex, who always fights me. Rex, my brother. So you're Rex there. Yeah. And, and what does this brother do? Uh, let's just say he does takedowns on me. Takedowns. He does takedowns. And you look very excited. So, a younger sister who's constantly annoying. In what way? What does she do? Um, bothers you in the middle of your homework. She's like, um... She's a botherer. Yeah. She's a botherer. Okay, let's go for one more. Ariana, and whenever I steal sweets from the jar, she rats me out. What does rat... Oh, she tells on her. Okay. So, I think that's quite a good one. So, did you hear that, Tony? Her name is Ariana, and her little brother steals sweets from the jar, and she rats her out. So, she's a... She's a you snitch. What? What? Steals something from a jar? The little brother, a little boy there, he steals sweets from the jar. Ah. His sister, Ariana, ratches her out. So she's the snitch. Ah. So Ariana's ah. the snitch. Ah. So do we think you can start creating an illustration based around a character who's a snitch? Yes. So what would a snitch look like, Tony? Well, a snitch, all snitches have long, thin noses. <laughs> they all do. If you remember the snitch at school, long... <laughs> Okay, well, you get, you get going on that, and we're going to have a look. So we're creating a whole new character that we can use, perhaps, in the world's worst children three that I'm writing at the moment. And also, when Tony's finished, I'll get, just get some ideas. Because the book after that, I'm thinking about doing a book called The World's Worst Teachers. <laughs> so, okay, so we have a... Well, you, you're pointing to your friend here, who's a teacher. So why... She's a teaching assistant, same thing. So what does she do that's annoying? I don't know, you'll have to ask the girls. What, do, what does she do? You tell me. My mum, she teaches um, other people and she also gives out to the naughty people. What does she do to the naughty children? She gives them out and disappears. She beats them, you said? She... She 
get, get. She. She locks him in a cupboard. That's terrible. Okay, what do you? What have you got a teacher that's annoying? You come and tell me about them. I'm not going to tell you the name in case she's here today, which she probably won't be. I'm not telling you the name, but she absolutely hates all year five. She loathes them, and I'm a year five, so. Why, why does she hate everyone in year five? Uh, we try and do anything. We drop a pencil. We we're walking to the lunch hall in a line that's not like single file, and she'll just go in a line. And I think we do need to know her name. What's her name? Uh, she's a year three teacher. And what's her name? Miss Nugent. Miss Nugent. Are you here? Are you here? We don't think she's here. Let's get one more idea for a teacher. Okay, you look excited. So, have you got an annoying teacher to tell me about? Your mum. My mum. Why is your mum Because um, I don't know. Ah, are you an annoying teacher? No, I'm the best teacher in the world. Yes, well, not so sure about that. Okay, let's go for someone else. You look very keen to tell me about your teacher. Teacher, it's my assistant head, Miss She like takes everything really seriously when you get in trouble. And what are you getting in trouble for? Oh, once I needed to take my song sock in. Well, it was inside out, and I backed and hit someone on the nose. Yeah, that sounds likely. <laughs> <laughs> it had a had a had a snooker ball in it. And it like. Stayed in her office like for 20 minutes. She talked about don't do it again and the consequences. Wow! So that's a terrible sock-based accident. Okay. So how are we getting on, Tony? Have we done it, well, Ariana the Snitch? The snitch. I, I love it. Anything else to draw? This would be a great, great character. So can the chap whose uh, whose sisters it is? Can they come up and collect their picture from? Uh, and is Ariana there as well? So are you Ariana? Are you Ariana? You're Ariana. Oh, I feel this is terrible. I didn't know you were here. Look, he's drawn you, but he hasn't drawn you very nicely. I'm very sorry. Here we go. But look, you're getting a, you're getting your own original Tony Ross illustration with my signature on it as well. Okay. So that's yours. Can you pull that off, Tony? Yep. There we are, Ariana. Okay. Sorry, we've ruined your life, but you will enjoy that picture. Okay, and thank you very much, Tony. We'll see you a bit later. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you very much to David Williams. Thank you, Andy. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Which way am I going? <laughs>